Anyways, hey, Matthew chapter 8, and while you're making your way there, if you're slow like me, uh, just to refresh our memory and give a little context of where we've been, Matthew in chapters 8 and 9 has been, has been uh, giving us a cross-section of some of the miracles that Jesus has been doing uh, so that we would see his absolute authority. And uh, Matthew's already shown us through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, cha- Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, his authority as a teacher. And, and we just, we were, we took a, a little while to get through that because the teaching was so rich and so full. And so Jesus's authority as a teacher. And we saw there at the end of chapter seven, that people were marveling at his authority that he was teaching. Unlike the scribes and Pharisees, unlike pastor Matt, like there was just an amazing authority just flowing out from Jesus Christ. Amen. And so Matthew in chapters eight and nine. Now he gives us examples of Jesus authority, he gives us 10 examples of Jesus authority or nine, depending on how you cut it. I'm not going to number them off, but we saw the first three examples last week of Jesus's authority being demonstrated over disease. We saw that disease and demons, basically uh, he cleansed a leper. Uh, remember that. And then he, uh, he healed the centurion servant with just a word. And then thirdly, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law who was sick in bed. And again, this is what Jesus was doing all over the place. And and Matthew's just taking a a couple examples, a couple samples uh, during this time because he wanted, he wanted the Jews to know who would be reading this. And he wants us to know uh, that Jesus is exactly who the scripture said he would be. This is the kind of stuff that the, the Messiah would be doing when he came on the scene. It was prophesied about by the prophets, you know, sometimes uh, a thousand years before, even more than that, or less than that, depending on where you're reading. And Matthew even quotes out of Isaiah 53, which is written around, what, 700 years before Christ, somewhere around there. And he quotes out of Isaiah 53 in verse 17 of chapter eight. He says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And so the Messiah was the one who is, would come and he'd be taking away people's illnesses. He'd be taking their diseases away from them. I mean, living where we are, I mean, there's a lot of disease going on. There's a lot of illness going on and there's not a lot of whole taking it away. As much as people try, it just seems like it's, it's all over the place and exponential. And so you have this person coming on the scene and all of a sudden people are getting miraculously healed from every kind of disease, every kind of malady, every kind of cancer, every kind of heart disease and sickness, whatever's going on. uh, People who are paralyzed, people who can't speak, people who are deaf, all this kind of stuff is going on. It's just this amazing scene that's going on. And Matthew's just going, I'm just going to grab 10 of these things and just show you that exactly what's going on is exactly what, what the prophets said would happen when Jesus came on the scene. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. And as people saw what was going on, they were astonished at Jesus's authority. They're like, who is this? How many of you guys got physical stuff going on? Anybody else? I mean, Without answering like out loud, but how many of you kind of done weird stuff to try to get it fixed? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Don't raise your hands. Come on now. Yeah? <laughs> <Every> all... <laughs> you, know? you know what I mean? People are desperate to be healed. And how, how many is that like, you know, and we all try to share our little remedies with one another, but in general, like I said, we all got our toes off the cliff, right? 
It's not, not going too well. And people are just marveling at Jesus and, and what he's doing. And we left off, if you remember, we left off last Sunday with two different men seeing all that Jesus was doing, just being blown away with who he was. One was a scribe and one was a, a disciple, someone who was committed to following Jesus Christ. And they wanted to follow him, but Jesus pointed out what would keep them from following him wholeheartedly. You see, they were excited about Jesus. They were going, wow, who is this? This is awesome. I mean, he's, he's gotta be him. And they wanted to follow him, but there were things that were keeping them. And Jesus knew this about them would keep them from following him wholeheartedly. In spite of all they'd seen, in spite of their emotional excitement and all this stuff. And Jesus said in a matter of words, that falling in would have to supersede their comfort and have to supersede their convenience. And, and, and man, that doesn't that strike the heart of us. You know, we get excited about Jesus. We read the Bible. We know who he is. And then it actually comes down to following him and obeying him. And it's like, ah, comfort and convenience are kind of more important. Anybody else struggle with that other than this guy. And so Jesus said to follow me is, is important. And it's so important that you have to put me above you have to prioritize me, prioritize me, prioritize me above your comfort and above convenience. You said to the guy, I don't have a home. Foxes and all these other animals, they have places to go. I don't, the son of man has no place to lay his head. And that's what his life was here on earth. He was going all over the place. Can you do that? Are you willing to follow me into homelessness or into inconvenience or to sleeping on the road? You know, you can't bring your CPAP. Oh no. What are you going to (laughs) do? You know, I can't have my bed and you know, I can't have my, my creature comforts and my coffee in the morning and all this kind of stuff that we we've grown to like, Say, I will have all of these things and then I will follow Jesus. I have, if I have all of these things in, in, in order, then I'll join a home fellowship. Then I will, uh, yeah, I'm manipulating things, right? Uh, And then, then I will serve the Lord. Then I'll get involved in children's ministry. Then I'll walk across the street and evangelize. Then I'll do this. As long as these things are done. I'm guilty too, everybody. Jesus says, are you willing to follow me first? And then to the other guy, secondly, he said, following would need to supersede any relationship or priority. Jesus, let me, I want to follow you, but first let me bury my father. It seems like a good thing. You know, devotion to your parents. And this isn't a verse about not being devoted to your parents. We know all the other ones that are there, but he's saying not at the expense of following Jesus. Jesus turns to this guy and says, let the dead bury the dead but you follow me. In other words, you want to have real life. You follow me. You stay and prioritize your dad above following me. You're just as dead as he is. And those are hard words, right? Hard words. Jesus is not saying you don't take care of your parents, but it was the thing that would keep him from following him. You see, that was the thing in his life. And you do that with money. And he would do that with other things as people said, I want to follow you. And so on the one hand, 
There is seeing Jesus, who he is and what he does. And we all get excited about that, right? And having a desire to follow him. I think we all want to follow him. Amen. Amen. But on the other hand, then there's actually following him. (laughs) Right? Amen. (laughs) More amens, right? So they're seeing Jesus's authority. Then there's actually being submitted to him. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And, and so Matthew not only is demonstrating to us, he's not only showing us examples of Jesus's authority, he's showing that in spite of how awesome and wonderful is how hard our hearts are that we don't want to follow him. And this was indicative of all of Israel. It's indicative of us, right? This is the things we struggle with. We, we want to have him make us bread in the wilderness, but we don't want to actually feast on the bread of life. And so this is where we pick up in, in, in verse 23 this morning. It says, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. You see his disciples are not the ones who just hear his teachings or see his wonders who, or who say they want to follow him as his disciples are the ones who actually follow Jesus and get into the boat. Not necessarily knowing where they're going, but they're following Jesus. Amen. And verse 24 says, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> and, you know, uh, to follow Jesus is to follow Jesus wherever he may go. And sometimes as we follow Jesus, great storms arise. Great storms arise. You know, sometimes we're right smack in the middle of God's will and it's in the middle of a storm. You know that? Don't let anybody teach you differently. And that's what happened to the disciples here. Again, verse 24 and, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. So here's this great contrast. Matthew gives, uh, gives us the storm was raging, but Jesus was asleep. The storm is raging, but Jesus is asleep. Now this makes me wonder. It makes me ask questions about Jesus. How in the world could Jesus sleep through all of that? I know some of us are deep sleepers, right? You know, some of us are deep sleepers. I remember being a teenager sleeping through earthquakes and that kind of thing, but this is not what's going on here. You know, what is it about him that could be so at peace? So at rest, so totally relaxed to the point where the wind and the waves and the water coming into the boat, falling on him cold and all that stuff. He he's just, it didn't phase him. How could, how could Jesus be like that in those circumstances? That's a good question to ask because the disciples were not in that state of mind and neither would I be verse 25. So what do they do? And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. They're losing it, right? They're losing it. And, and we know this wasn't any just, you know, run of the mill storm on the sea of Galilee. We know Peter and James and John and Andrew, these guys are fishermen. They've been out on this lake a lot and you know, fishermen go out into storms and they fish and they do all that stuff. And so they'd weathered a lot of storms. I I'm, 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 I'm guessing, you know, you don't go out into one knowing it's dangerous, but I'm sure this had happened. And by the way, this is a lake. We talked about the geography when we started this whole thing, but 
the winds would come down from the Golan Heights would hit there and the waves would stir. And, and many of you go, how can there be a, it's not a Lake Bennington. It's more like a Lake Erie. You know, it's a, it's a bigger lake. So there's, it has its own storm systems and there's big waves and they're getting tossed around there. It's a pretty severe storm to where these fishermen who are experienced out there, it's something they hadn't experienced. It's not something that they could handle to the point where they're going to Jesus and they're waking him up because they think they are going to die. And so they do the only thing they do. They can do at this point. They wake up Jesus, which is good. And Jesus wakes up and he responds to them in verse 26. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. Why are you afraid? How do you answer? This is a serious question. Jesus is asking. This is the first thing Jesus says when you wake him up. Okay. The, the, the boats kind of got water halfway in. It's going all over the place. The wind's blowing and they're all you 12 of them. They're shaking them. They're waking them up. And what does he say? He wakes up, Why are you afraid? What's our answer? Cause we're going to die. <laughs> look, look what's going on. We're going to die. Anyone else? This is my, and I'm not trying to be irreverent. That's, that's my natural response to this. Boats can sink. That would be my answer, but that's not how Jesus sees it. Why are you afraid? And Jesus answers the question for them when he said, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. What does that mean? The, the reason they're afraid is because they had little faith. And this isn't kind of like the verse where it's like, oh, if you have faith as a mustard seed, he's just saying you lack faith. You lack faith. At this point with their walk in the Lord, they don't believe that the guy sleeping in the boat is greater than the storm they faced. They lacked faith. They didn't understand who Jesus was. And he graciously shows them who he is. Verse 26. And then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. Can you imagine that? Being in that boat, being subject to all of that. You wake him up. And he gets up and says, why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. And then he gets up and rebukes the winds and the waves. And it says there was a great calm. That word great is the same word used for the storm, the kind of storm they were in a great storm, a megas storm in the Greek. Megas, mega is a mega storm. And guess what kind of calm there was when Jesus spoke? There was a mega calm as big as the storm was, was as big as the calm was. That's the balance there. How calm was it out there after he said to the winds and waves, be still. I think it was shaking around and stuff. I think the wind and the waves were still like, you know, they were just settling because that's what science does. What do you think happened? Bunk. Glassy sea, no wind, 
sun in the sky, <laughs> birds chirping. They're just like, what in the world just happened? It was totally calm, totally still, totally under his authority. Think about that. Verse 27. And the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and waves obey him? I don't know about you, but at this point, I want to jump out of the boat because I'm more scared of this guy than I am of whatever's out there. Make sense? Who in the world could just speak and stop all this stuff? Who is this we're in the boat with? They didn't know. They didn't know who he was. Well, this is the son of God. That's who it is. This is who they were following, who called them to follow him into the boat. This is the one who drew them to his side. Into the storms is the one who has authority over disease and over nature. In church, this is the same Jesus who calls you to follow him. Has called you to his side today. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why are you afraid? Some of you live in fear. I live in fear. Fear hits my heart. Why am I afraid? Many of you guys have, are, are, live in fear right now over circumstances or things or health or disease and all this kind of stuff. Why are we afraid? I'm not talking about a weird kind of faith. I'm just saying, why are we afraid? Why are we afraid about what the, what's going on in the world or if someone's going to attack so-and-so or whatever's going on, or if there's going to be a storm or are we can have enough food or toilet paper or all this kind of stuff. I know. I mean, it, but we've all gone through it, right? Why are we afraid? Cause I might die. That's a great answer. Here's the thing, church, the disciples were taking their cues from the circumstances. They were taking their cues from the wind and the waves and the condition of the boat they were in. They were taking all of their cues instead of from Jesus, who was at total peace in the boat. They take the cues from the world and the circumstances instead of the one who's asleep in the boat. So much of our fear comes from not being in control. And the older you, older you get, the less you realize you're actually in control. That's an illusion. They didn't understand the one who was in total control. They didn't understand the authority of Jesus Christ, of who he is. This is why Jesus was asleep on the boat. Why was Jesus at total peace? Because nature wasn't a threat. Life was in his hands. Death is not a threat. Nothing is going to affect him. He has authority over it all. He's in control. He can sleep through the storm. Amen. Amen. And the reason that Jesus asked him, why, why, why are you afraid? It's like, don't you know who you're with? Don't you know who called you? Don't you know who I am? No, I don't. Apparently that's right. And so what do storms reveal? 
They reveal where our trust is, where our faith is. They reveal our lack of faith quite often. And the reason they had no reason to fear while everyone else would is because they were in the boat with Jesus who had called them to his side. Isaiah 26 verse three is a great verse. Isaiah 26, three, you can write that down. You've heard it before, but you keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace. What kind of peace asleep? on the boat kind of peace in the midst of a storm. You keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, man, that's faith, not in the boat, not in the wind, not in the waves, not in my ability to get toilet paper, but on Jesus. The night that Jesus is betrayed, he says to his disciples in John 14, 25 to 27, John 14, 25 to 27, write that down. It's not up there. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance uh, all that I have said to you. And then verse 27, he says, peace. I leave with you. Peace. I leave with you. Not as the world gives, do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I'm leaving you my spirit. I'm going to send you my spirit. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He'll be in your heart. He'll give you my peace. I'm giving you my spirit. He'll be in you and with you and upon you. He'll give you my peace. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Put your mind on the Lord. Trust in him. Know who he is. You see, this is at the end of Jesus's time with his disciples. This is way after the boat scene. They're still afraid. They're still struggling. Amen. Well, that gives me a little hope. And Jesus is still encouraging them still showing them who he is, still giving them promises, still reminding them of his mighty faithfulness in their circumstances. I love that. Don't be troubled. So brothers and sisters, his peace is your peace in Christ, the kind of peace that can be at rest in the mega storm, right? So keep your mind and your heart and your thoughts on him. And this is why we get together to study the word and to be in fellowship with one another is to remind each other of who he is in our lives and in our circumstances to remind each other, to edify each other, to, to build one another up, to stir up one another's faith and, and in love and good works. Remember when you're going through a hard time and you're down and our, our mind gets focused on the storm, the rest of the body swarms around and goes, Oh, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus and this is what he's done and who he is and, and how awesome he is. And these are his promises. And then all of a sudden one of those other people gets in the storm and the person who is comforted comes back and goes, Oh, this is my Lord. Remember who he is. And we keep reminding one another of who he is. Amen. Amen. Don't let the wind and the waves dictate your emotions. It's hard, but remember who he is. Remember who has ultimate authority over your bodies, who has ultimate authority over the day you'll check out 
of this place who has ultimate authority over politics and, and all the principalities and dominions and authorities and things that are going on. Fix your eyes on Jesus church. Amen. And let you walk in peace and in faith, knowing that you can actually walk in the midst of this storm of life in total peace as our eyes are fixed on him. He has all authority. So Matthew shows us that he has authority over nature. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Verse 28. <laughs> anyway, and he came to the other side, to the country of the Garden, Gardenians, whatever they are, the Gergesens, I, I, you know, NIV or ESV. The other side, the other side away from Capernaum. Two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. Now, if you read the other accounts in the other gospels, Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark 5 and Luke 8, those are the other things. We, they only focus on one guy. They only say there's one guy. And here, Matthew says there's two. So apparently there were two, but there was one major person, and that's who the other gospels focus on. And so apparently it was the guy who just meets Jesus right when he gets out of the boat. He seemed to be the major guy involved here. And so Matthew lets us know there's actually two. And we learn a bunch more about what these guys were going through from the other accounts. Luke eight tells us that these guys who were possessed, they had been possessed by demons for a long time, that they were out of their minds and they were running around naked. So they were unclothed. They lived in tombs. They had been kept by guards at one time bound in chains, but the demons would empower them so much that they'd be able to break the chains and, and then they would break the chains and then run away into the desert or into the wilderness. I've actually been to that area. I don't know if, if anybody has taken a tour of Israel and been over to that side. It's pretty desolate, a lot of ruins and all that stuff, but it's, yeah, it's, it's not a wonderful area. And Mark five tells us much the same, but they add a little bit. It says that they could, when they could no longer be bound and they broke the chains and they smashed the sh the, sh the shackles on them. And so it wasn't just a matter of breaking them. They just had supernatural power to do this crazy stuff. And they were always running around crying out and cutting themselves with stones. You know, when you see people cutting themselves and all that stuff, I mean, we always chalk it up to mental health. Listen, there's demonic stuff going on. And we just immediately dismiss so much of that. But this is people who are not in their right minds, running around naked, cutting themselves, crying out, um, super empowered, all this type of stuff. This is, this is what was going on with these men. They were absolutely overwhelmed by the power of darkness. No one could stand against them. No one could keep them locked up. Everybody had to avoid them because they were so terrifyingly powerful and they were out living among the dead. That's what the enemy does. And in these accounts, when Jesus, uh, he asks the name of the demon possessed person, they, they cry out saying they are legion. And this is interesting because the other accounts show us that when Jesus's boat touches the shore, immediately one of these guys comes and runs and falls down before Jesus. And Jesus is asking him, what's your name? And, and, and it says there, he calls himself, says, we are, my name is Legion for we are many. <laughs> so talking in schizophrenic type terms, right? For we are, we are many. What does that mean? Well, a Roman Legion was four to 6,000 troops. And, I, and you, you know, I'm not saying there's four to 6,000 demons in there, but it's the idea is that there are multitudes of demons. That's the point. 
to where this demon calls himself Legion or the head of whoever was in charge there of the demon says, we're Legion for we are many. And that's what was possessing this guy. Not just one multitudes of demons. And they had not only tormented these men, but they had given them extraordinary power. Matthew 28, uh, Matthew says here in verse 28, eight of Matthew eight says that they were so fierce that no one could pass their way. And yet when Jesus's boat touches the shore, they, this one comes running and falls down before the Lord. And that's where we pick up in verse 29 says, and behold, they cried out, what have you to do with this? O son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? I mean, talk about opening up a window into the supernatural realm that we have no idea about. Can you imagine the disciples just get off the boat scenario. They're going, who is this? The wind and waves obey him. And then they touch down and these de- demoniacs come running out. I mean, talk about a wild ride with Jesus and these guys out of their minds come running out crying out. What have you to do with the son of God? Have you come to torment us before our time? It's fascinating that the demons actually have a proper theology of God. James and James two nineteen says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe in shudder. And here we see, they cry out. What do you have to do with this? Oh, son of God, the demons know who Jesus is. He is the son of God. Isn't that amazing? They also know that there's an appointed day for their judgment. They know about the judgment. Have you come here to torment us before the time they cried out? And that's, that's a loaded question there, but there is a time in which they will be tormented. God is just Matthew 25, 20, uh, 41 implies when he's talking about uh, how, how hell or Gehenna or whatever it might be. The word there is prepared for the devil and his angels, the devil and the demons. There's a place in a time that is, going to be um, their judgment, eternal fire. The point being that the multitudes of demons, they recognize the authority of Jesus as the son of God. In verse 30 says, we'll read a big section here. It says now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. And so they came out and went into the pigs and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the waters. Can you imagine that? The other gospels say they're on 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of pigs running down the hill. The 4-H project is gone. <laughs> There's jokes about deviled ham and all that stuff. But anyways, the, the demons apparently don't want to be disembodied and they would rather be in something or in someone and Jesus grants their request to go into the pigs and die. But the point being that guess who's telling every the demons where to go and what's going on. Jesus is saying, yeah, you can go in there. And they went in there and they did that. Jesus is in total command of the enemy. Do we know that we have a really fierce enemy? You know that we, you know, as Christians, we try to undermine him and say, he's just a punk and talk all this stuff. And it's like, Man, you don't know what you're talking about. 
we have an incredibly powerful enemy. These are fallen angels. And I only say that so that we know that apart from the one who is above all, we're nothing. And that's exactly what was going on with these guys. They were totally subject to him. And that's what's going on in our world. Apart from God's intervention, the enemy is having his way one way or another. And yet Jesus with a word sends them out. That's our Lord. And verse 33 says the herdsmen fled. No kidding. And going into the city, they told everything, especially what happened to the demon possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus and to celebrate what had happened. No way. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. A lot of reasons why people think that is now Mark tells us that they, they came out to see what had happened and they saw the man who had been possessed and they saw him sitting in his right mind and clothed. And that's when they said, please get out of here. Please leave. It could be that their darkness, obviously there's pigs, which are unclean things. They could have been Jews hurting pigs or it could have been Gentiles hurting pigs. That Golan Heights area was different. Yeah, I mean, there was just inner, inner mixing of things going on there. But the idea is that the light had shined and they said, get out of here. And that's what's going on. Here they're just overwhelmed at what Jesus has done. They couldn't handle them. They begged him to leave. And so Jesus did. Now listen, Jesus just leaves Capernaum, goes over there, does this and comes back. That's Jesus's whole deal. The Lord called him to go over here and notice what happens. You don't have this here, but in Luke chapter eight, verse 39, it talks about what happened to the guy, probably both these guys when they were in their right minds. This is their response. It says in Luke eight thirty nine, it says, I want to follow you, Jesus. That's what they're saying. I want to follow you. Can I follow you now? You've, you've freed me. I want to follow you. I'm yours. Amen. When we get freed from the enemy, it's like, I want to follow you wherever you have. I'm yours. Amen. But here Jesus says, no, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city, how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus said, no, you're not going to follow me. I'm sending you right back into that city to be my witness. Undeniable witness to these people who are lost of what God had done. And this is what the Lord often does with us is he frees us from such darkness. And he sends us right back to our families right back into our work. And they see the difference. They see what Jesus has done. And, and when they, when you, when they're looking at you, you go, why are you so different? What's going on? Why have you changed? We go, that's what the Lord has done. He's so good. This is who I was. You guys know it. And this is who I am by God's grace. And they can't help, but see the power of God at work. And that's the point of Matthew, Jesus authority over satanic forces. And, th- and think about that in the havoc that the enemy is having in the hearts and minds of so many we're in contact with in our, in, in our nation at large, you know, part of it, I think is the judgment of God, just allowing the enemy to do what he wants to do because we don't want God in general. But at the same time, there's people we're praying for. And, and how many of you have people like in your life, you're just going, Oh, there's just no way 
that they would ever come to the Lord. There's no way that there would ever be a change in the circumstance. There's no way it's too big. It's too bad. It's too powerful. I can't go that way because man, church, we've got an awesome God and where the world is going, there's no way around and we can't do this and that. We've got a God who has authority over these things. And if it's his will to free whoever that might be, if it's his will to heal, if it's his will to break or to change something, then it will happen. But church, he calls us to follow him and he calls us to pray. And, and as you get to the end here, he's going to start say, of where I wanted to go, what we won't get. Um, <laughs> what does he say? He says, you know, he says, man, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Cause the, there's a lot of harvest, but there's few workers. You see how, how Jesus sees it and how we see it are two different things. Listen, it's the same thing. The harvest is many. It's still the harvest time church. It's still the harvest time. Pray to the Lord for harvesters and you're them. Do you know that? You're the ones that God has called into the world to be in it, but not of it. You're the ones who've been touched by the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been changed from the inside out. And, and, and you walk, we, we walk around quite often defeated and timid and all those things. Listen, put your eyes on Jesus. I need to put my eyes on Jesus. And as we look to him, we walk into our work with, with his power and his authority, not, you know, dictating to people, everything, but praying for people, loving people and, and being able to declare the truth with boldness and humility. Amen? Amen. And as they see his love and his truth matched together in you, who obviously if you're a broken vessel, it's not about you. It's about him in you. Amen. They see God, they see him at work and he just does stuff. And so where there's these you know, strongholds, whatever you want to call it, where the enemy is at work, where he's just, God is clamps on things. We have to pray. And it's not like oh, we gotta, we're moving God to move. It's like we're waking up to who he is. So we would stop fretting at the boat, stop fretting at the waves and realize who's asleep. Amen. And we can have peace in these circumstances and ask for his will and ask for his favor and ask for his will in, in this person's life or in this circumstance and just watch God work and say, I'm here for you, Lord. Amen. So we'll stop there. We'll talk more about Jesus' authority next week over sin with the paralytic and over all these other areas. I think it's important. We kind of focus on this because he is just, he's all that church. You know, when we realize who he is, our worship responds accordingly. Our service responds accordingly. When he, when, when we realize how awesome he is and how good he is, See, words fall short, but our hearts just react and they respond. And that's, you can't manufacture that. It can't be manipulated in you, in me. He just comes to us and he shows himself and we read and we see and we gather and we, we marvel at him and he grows that within us. 
and our understanding of him grows. And then also does our response and service and love and worship and praise and devotion. Amen. Cause it's a fruit that bears out. It's not a manufacturing thing. So Lord, we, we ask that there would be much fruit as we abide in you and, and you reveal yourself to us. And as we marvel at who you are and, and the fact that we are, we aren't on the outside, but we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been drawn close, never to be cast aside, but to be by your side forever, that we are one with you. Lord, open our eyes and our understanding that we might know the height and the depth and the width of who you are, Father. And may the enemy just be pushed back as he deserves, Lord. And, and may our hearts be set on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Lord, may our hearts be resting upon the rock in the midst of the storm. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word here. We thank you for your word to the church, Lord. Change our hearts and our minds and focus us on you this week. Be Lord in our hearts and and, and in this church, God, to your glory, father. Amen. All right. God bless you all.